prophet Elijah performed amazing miracles. He spiritually battled the prophets of Baal. And he confronted the wicked king Ahab. And he was to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. As the prophecy says in Malachi, else the Lord would come and smite the earth with utter destruction for the last Elijah to come. Some Church of God groups believe that Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong was the prophesied end-time Elijah. And some made an issue of that as being salvation. If you didn't believe he was the Elijah to come, uh, you could not belong to that particular Church of God group. Uh, Dr. Meredith addressed the whole issue of the Elijah question, and that was the title of his sermon, The Elijah Question, that he gave May 5th, 2001. And we'll comment on that later. Jesus' disciples asked him about the Elijah to come. And Jesus answered and said that Elijah had already come in the person of John the Baptist, that he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. So today let's ask a few questions or consider a few questions. Who will be and who was the end-time Elijah? What was the greatest accomplishment of the prophet Elijah? What mission similarities are there with Elijah's mission and that of Mr. Armstrong, Dr. Meredith, and the Living Church of God today? And who prepared the way for Christ's first coming? And who will prepare the way for Christ's second coming? So we'll answer that question today. You want to turn to Malachi, the fourth chapter. Of course, Malachi 4 gives us that prophecy of the end-time Elijah. The prophet Malachi says in verse 1, giving you the setting and the context, Malachi 4, verse 1. And behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Eternal of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. And, of course, that's going to happen during the day of the Lord, where the seven trumpet plagues will be poured out. Verse 2, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like a small stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Eternal of hosts. So that is a prophecy for the end time. And, of course, the judgment on the nations is the, the main meaning and the main theme for the Feast of Trumpets and the day of the Lord. Verse 4, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Dr. Meredith points out in his sermon on the question of Elijah that you'll notice that in the Scriptures, Moses and Elijah are often patterned together. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord? Well, we've shown you in prophecy many times. That's the one year preceding the return of Christ, ending with the seventh trumpet. So it's the day of the Lord is that one year preceding the return of Christ. And, of course, that's the theme of the whole book of Revelation, the day of the Lord. And it's the theme of over 30 prophecies in the Bible. And, of course, Joel was uh, talks extensively about the day of the Lord. So if you want to know more about the day of the Lord, you can read the whole uh, minor prophet, as it's called, of Joel. And he will, verse 6, And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children of the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse, or, as the Moffat translation has it, utter destruction. So, unless there is an end-time Elijah during the coming day of the Lord, or just before the coming day of the Lord, uh, there will be utter destruction of planet Earth. We'll comment on that a little more later on. But there was coming a second Elijah, and that was John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Christ's first coming. And when did he come? He was born before 
before Christ was, six months before Christ was born. <coughs> and he overlapped Christ's ministry by six months. So there was no huge time gap between the presentation of that second Elijah and the coming of Christ, his first coming. Let's turn to Luke, the first chapter. We'll look, take a look at the second Elijah, as he's called. <coughs> Luke, the first chapter. And we have the prophecy of John the Baptist. The angel speaking to Zacharias, uh, John's father, Luke 1 and verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. John the Baptist was one of God's special servants of all time. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. <laughs> he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. We'll see later that John the Baptist did no miracle. And yet Elijah called down fire from heaven. And yet here is John the Baptist still in the spirit and power of Elijah and did no sign or no miracle. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So that was part of the responsibility that the first Elijah had was turning the hearts of the people to the God of Israel from the, from the false God of Baal. And this is still a part of our mission today to Prepare a people for the Lord, for the coming of Christ, the second coming. Mr. Meredith, Dr. Meredith's sermon, which I referred to sometimes in the sermon today, it was called The Elijah Question. He gave that in May 2001. And I'll be quoting from that sermon. Dr. Meredith stated in that sermon, quote, So the first Elijah, as you know, came along and preached powerfully the knowledge of the true God to turn them away from Baal and got them back to the knowledge of the true God and the fear of God. The second Elijah, John the Baptist, coming in the spirit and power of Elijah, got Israel or Judah at that time to turn back toward the knowledge of the true God and brought them to repentance from all their traditions and customs and all their worldliness and laxity. So we saw what was prophesied about that second Elijah. And we're thankful for what John the Baptist did. He completed that mission that he was given. And is that not a part of our mission today? Turning people to the knowledge of the true God and to the way of God? Is it still not our mission today to prepare people for the coming of Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords? So how did the first Elijah turn the hearts of the people. We just heard that beautiful aria sung by Christopher Pringle. He, well, take, take a look at it. If you want to learn about Elijah, I would encourage all of you to read the first Kings chapters 17 through 23. And we'll turn to first uh, Kings chapter 17 to begin with. This is talking about Elijah the Tishbite. First Kings 17, starting with verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gibeon, Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. So, Elijah was one who could call a drought on all of the Israel, on all of Israel. Of course, Ahab was the king of the northern house, the house of Israel. <clears throat> As you know, that was three and a half years of drought. We'll see 
Elijah's prayer later when he did pray for rain. Turn to chapter 18. We'll continue in chapter 18. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Eternal came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Eternal greatly. For it was so while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Eternal, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. And so he told them to go uh, tell Obadiah to get Ahab. And so (coughs) he goes goes ahead and gets Ahab. (coughs) Excuse me. So Elijah meets Ahab. Verse 17 of 1 Kings 18. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have. That you have forsaken the commandment of the Eternal and have followed the Baals. So Elijah stood up to Ahab and said, I'm not the troubler of Israel, you and your house of the troubler of Israel. Verse 19, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. So here was a great one of the great battles of the Old Testament. The prophet, the battle with the prophets of Baal. But here, verse 21 is a key verse, and if you've not had that marked in your Bible, you need to mark it in your Bible. And Elijah came to the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? How long will you falter between two opinions? If the eternal is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. (coughs) But the people answered him, not a word. Mr. Gerald Waterhouse, Gerald Waterhouse, sorry, Gerald Weston, uh, wrote a T- Tomorrow's World magazine article, September, October 2017, actually based on this very verse. And the title of the Tomorrow's World article was Faltering Between Two Opinions. So Mr. Weston writes, What about you? Do you live your life as though you are truly seeking immortality? After all, either the afterlife is a reality or it isn't. There can be no other way. So what is it for you? Are you living your life with the resurrection in mind? Or you do religion? Or go to church for an hour each week just in case there is an afterlife or a judgment of some kind? You'd hold your place here in 1 Kings 18 and turn back to Matthew, the 6th chapter. Matthew 6. <coughs> Matthew 6 and verse 24. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Elijah challenged the people of Israel, why are you halting between two opinions? Back to 1 Kings, the 18th chapter. Here was the great battle with with the prophets of Baal. He said, you need to get a a bullock and... uh, and uh, I'll get a bullock, and the, the God that answers with fire, let him be God. And all the people agreed to that contest, so the prophets of Baal began to uh, put the, the meat out on the altar and then pray for Baal to call down fire from heaven. And so um, Elijah mocks them from time to time, and he said, uh, 
Oh, he may be on a journey. You need to cry a little louder. And I suppose if um, Elijah were doing it today, he would would mock them by saying, Oh, he, uh, Baal's probably doing a, a video game. You need to call a little louder and, and uh, get his attention. Uh, but if you read some of the other translations, uh, you talk about sarcasm, sarcasm. You talk about mocking. Uh, Elijah did quite an extensive job. And so they, uh, of course, for the morning all cried out to Baal. And in the afternoon they started cutting themselves and bleeding. So they, maybe that would convince Baal. Then it came time for the evening sacrifice. And so you come to us all day long. The prophets of Baal are, are cutting themselves, pleading with their false god. Nothing happens. And now, how long a prayer did Elijah pray? If you read it, I timed it. It's about 24 seconds in just this very short prayer. Turn to uh, 1 Kings 18, uh, starting with verse 36. First uh, Kings 18, verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Very short prayer. After all the hours throughout the day of this contest with the prophets of Baal. Verse 38, just with that short prayer, what happened? Verse 38, And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Eternal, He is God. And so Elijah said, Seize the prophets of Baal and do not let them escape. So Elijah fulfilled that responsibility that God gave him. And he said, In verse 37, hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people will know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And that's what he did. So we heard the special music today that uh, about turning our hearts back to God. If with all your heart you truly seek him. That's, of course, from Mendelssohn's uh, Elijah uh, Oratorio. Uh, this is the uh, vocal score for Mendelssohn's Elijah. It's a whole whole book. Um, my wife and I attended a performance of uh, Elijah at the Pasadena Auditorium in January 1970. We were trying to think about when it was, and uh, my wife was commenting on the way here how much she was so inspired uh, by that Elijah Oratorio at the Ambassador Auditorium. She thought it might have been 1971 or 72, but we found out um, accurately and authentically that it was January 1970. How do we know? Because our Charlotte congregation pastor, Mr. John Strain, sang in that January 1970 Elijah Oratorio in the Ambassador Auditorium. So Mr. Strain sang all the choruses in this book here, in about two and a half hours. So uh, we know that was January 1970 in the uh, Ambassador Auditorium. After Mr. Armstrong's death in 1986, uh, there was another performance of uh, Elijah's uh, Oratorio in the Ambassador Auditorium. This time it was the Days of Unleavened Bread. My wife this time was playing in the orchestra with other musicians, um, I was in uh, Cincinnati visiting Mr. and Mrs. Bob League uh, during that time. But it was very honoring to Mr. Armstrong to have the Elijah Auditorio uh, performed that uh, Days of Unleavened Bread, uh, 1986. We'll just take a look at the two scriptures that 
that apply to seeking God with all our heart. And uh, these are so inspiring, and I hope you have those marked in your Bible. Deuteronomy 4, verse 29. Deuteronomy 4, verse 29. Talking about people who will be in the captivity, and yet they'll have an opportunity to repent if they don't repent in this dispensation. When they're in the Great Tribulation, they'll still have that opportunity. Deuteronomy 4, verse 29. But from there you will seek the eternal your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. That's a promise for all of us, even to this day. And hopefully all of us are in that mode that we are seeking him continually with all our heart and soul. The other scripture applying to that one, if all with all your heart you truly seek him, that beautiful tenor solo, Jeremiah 29. I know one of the teenagers out here in the audience told me that that's her favorite verse in all the Bible. Uh, Jeremiah 29, and uh, starting with uh, verse 11. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the eternal, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the eternal. So we thank God that he has that promise, and we have to claim his promises, have to fulfill the conditions for those promises as well. Are we seeking God with all our heart? I hope that's a continuous part of our character and a part of our religious walk with Christ every day. Two weeks ago, Mr. Gerald Weston gave a sermon titled, Hebrews 11.6, Without Faith, dot, dot, dot. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, of course. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So that is a part of our nature, a part of our character of, I, I pray, for the living church of God, that we are diligently seeking God continually and faithfully and consistently. Let's go back to... First Kings 18, and see the end of the drought where Elijah prays for rain. First Kings, the 18th chapter. We'll start in uh, <clears throat> start in verse 41. First Kings 18 and verse 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. This is after his initial pronouncement three and a half years earlier. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. (coughs) And he said to his servant, Go up, now look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. Seven times, he said, go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, verse 44, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. And this was, of course, from Mount Carmel. Then the hand of the Eternal came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. (coughs) How far is it from Mount Carmel to Jezreel? The commentaries say it's about 17 miles. So Elijah ran ahead of the chariot. We were talking at lunch the other day that 
chariots wouldn't just keep going, although they have to pace themselves. They would slow down sometimes, speed up at other times. Uh, but uh, apparently uh, Elijah was not an old, old man at that time. I'm just curious. I know we have some athletes here in the audience. How, I don't know if I can see your hand. How many of you have run at least 17 miles? If you ran a marathon, you did. Can I see your hands? Okay. One, two, three, four, five. Well, let's see if about seven or eight of you have run a marathon or run 17 miles. So, uh, But you are not the Elijah to come. Oh, don't think you are. <laughs> well... Of course, he was, he was not an old man, apparently, when he ran those 17 miles. But, but notice again that he prayed seven times. We have a sermon, sermon number 733, Persevere in Prayer. So it came to pass then, continuing in uh, the seventh time, that the, the rain started after that three, three and a half years of drought. Turn to James, the fifth chapter, James 5, that comments on Elijah's prayer. James, the fifth chapter. Of course, we have the uh, instruction for calling of the elders when we're ill or sick. James 5, verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain. And the earth produced its fruit. So what are we to learn from this? We learn that Elijah was a man like we are. And James is saying, This is what Elijah prayed. He stopped rain for three and a half years. But he's like you and he's like me. Doctor, of course, verse 16, we have uh, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So let me read that again. James, the fifth chapter, the verse, verse 16, the previous verse, confess your trespasses to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then he gives the example of Elijah. <clears throat> so Dr. Scott Winnell's sermon, uh, The Faith Not to Be Healed, that he gave uh, three, three months ago, I believe it was, uh, he said, uh, even if your effective prayer, your, the one you're praying for is not healed, your prayer still avails much. So remember that. The NIV says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The RSV says, The prayer of the righteous man has great power in its effects. So we know we pray for one another that we might be healed, as it says there in uh, verse 16. The word in the commentary by Motyer on the the book of James uh, says, The word ikis in Greek points to inherent strength, that is the power. The strength which makes a person or thing sufficient for the task. It means potency, power waiting to be released. And that's from the message of James by Motyer. He also writes about the nature of Elijah. We just read that he was a man with a nature like ours. And Motyer states this about Elijah. He could rise to the heights of faith and commitment. 1 Kings 18, that's when he's challenging the prophets of Baal, and fall into the depths of despair and discretion. He actually prayed to die in 1 Kings 19, verse 4. So he was up and he was down. Your continuance, he could be brave and resolute sometimes. 1 Kings 18, verse 17 through 19, when he confronted 
King Ahab and said, you're the one who's troubling Israel. And then Elijah could fly for his life at a whiff of danger. First Kings 19.3, when Jezebel threatens him, he runs for his life. He could be selfless in his concern for others. First Kings 17 verses 19 through 24, when he resurrected the dead child of the widow. And then be filled with self-pity. First Kings 19 verse 10 said, I am, I alone am left. I've served the Lord zealously. It was, he didn't know when God answered him that there were 7,000 that had not bowed the knee to Baal, but he was filled with self-pity. Your continues. In other words, he was an ordinary person, but he was right with God, or to put things in a sort of term, terminology that we find in James' letter. His faith was active in his work. His faith was active in his works, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. James 2, verses 22 and 23. So God worked powerfully through Elijah. But he was human, just like we are. But he fulfilled his mission. He turned people to the true God. He taught the way of God. And that same mission is the same mission we have today. God worked through Mr. Herbert Armstrong to fulfill that same mission. God worked through Dr. Roderick C. Meredith to fulfill that same mission. And God is working through us to fulfill that mission as well. We're not fulfilling the mission in the same way as Elijah did. As I mentioned earlier, John the Baptist fulfilled the mission, but he did no miracle. You might just check that in John, the 10th chapter. <clears throat> Turn to John 10. And uh, starting with uh, verse 40, John 10. And verse 40. I'm reading from uh, the New King James. And he went away again, that is, Jesus went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. John 10, verse 41. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. The, this is the... Authorized King James Version said that John performed no miracle. New King James says uh, John performed no sign. So we realize that even though the second Elijah performed no miracle, he still came in the spirit and power of Elijah. <coughs> One of the questions we needed to discuss was, was, Herbert W. Armstrong, the Elijah to come. Several churches of God require you to believe that if you're going to be a member of their organization. Well, Mr. Armstrong was certainly a faithful apostle of Jesus Christ. He served God faithfully for more than 50 years. He preached the gospel powerfully, and he personally witnessed to world leaders of course, he died 33 and a half years ago. And our younger generation, uh, younger than 33 and a half years or even uh, 40 years, uh, perhaps are unfamiliar with the ministry of Mr. Herbert Armstrong. This is a, a brochure. Ambassador Foundation presents Herbert W. Armstrong, Ambassador for World Peace. And it shows him being with several world leaders. Um, and uh, if some of you young young people, that is younger than 40, uh, that did not know Mr. Armstrong would like to see this brochure, uh, you can see me after services. Uh, but he met with world leaders and uh, even with uh, the emperor of Japan and with uh, Golda Meir of, of Israel and, uh, of course, many others uh, on here Let's see, Margaret Thatcher and uh, several others. So this is a very inspiring uh, brochure about uh, Herbert W. Armstrong, ambassador uh, for world peace. Mr. Armstrong did restore missing truths 
that the Church of God had lost. On December 12th, December 17th, uh, 1983, December 17th, 1983, Mr. Armstrong gave a sermon in which he listed 18 restored truths in his sermon titled Mission of the Philadelphia Church Era. And you can go on the internet and actually hear that sermon. It's called Mission of the Philadelphia Church Era. Dr. Meredith in the Living Church News, in an article titled, Are You an Armstrongite? That was uh, January, February, Living Church News, 2002. Dr. Meredith wrote, The various Sabbath-keeping Church of God groups owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to Mr. and Mrs. Herbert W. Armstrong, standing virtually alone at first, enduring persecution and physical and financial hardships for many years. They worked together as a team to restore many truths to the church and to revive the work of God. Mr. Armstrong, in the mystery ages of his book, on page 251, writes this. One original church, much persecuted and opposed, but still in existence, has these evidence proving it to be the original true church. He was giving proofs of the true church of God. And even this church, until after the year 1933, had lost many of these vital truths. He writes, at least 18 basic and essential truths have been restored to the true church since that year. That was written by Mr. Armstrong, Mystery of the Ages, page 251. Uh, Mr. Mike DeSimone referred to them in his Elsine article on church government when he said church government is one of the 18 truths God restored to his church through Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong. Dr. Meredith gave a whole sermon honoring Mr. Herbert Armstrong, and that was the 30th anniversary of Mr. Armstrong's death on January 16, 2016. The title of the sermon that Dr. Meredith gave was Honoring Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong. And yet, some churches of God require that you believe that Mr. Armstrong was the Elijah to come. And Mr. Armstrong himself envisioned that he was doing the work of Elijah. And I've already shown you that we in the church are doing the missions and the elements of Elijah's work and mission. Mystery of the Ages, page 348. What did Mr. Armstrong say about himself being the Elijah? But also preparing the way for his second coming was a messenger of whom Elijah was a type, a voice crying out in the worldwide spiritual wilderness of religious confusion, preparing the way for the spiritual glorified King of Kings and Lord of Lords to come in the supreme power and glory of God to his spiritual temple the church, Ephesians 2, verse 21, to actually establish the kingdom of God. So he he refers to himself as one of voice crying out in the worldwide spiritual wilderness of religious confusion. He did that. And we also are doing that today. But was Mr. Armstrong the Elijah to come? He helped prepare for the second coming as we are helping prepare for the second coming. Dr. Meredith's sermon 18 years ago on the Elijah question states this. Would the final Elijah, just asking the question, be someone who died 20 or 30 years before the day of the Lord? Would it be someone who all the younger generation, the young people I see out there in front of me today including my two sons and others like that in their teens, early 20s and even below their teens, they would never know that such a man ever existed. Would that Elijah be one who missed an entire generation before the day of the Lord? We have to think about that. So as mentioned already, John the Baptist overlapped the ministry of Jesus Christ by six months. After Christ began his ministry, John the Baptist was was beheaded about six months later. But during the great tribulation and day of the Lord, the two witnesses 
will prophesy for 1260 days leading right up to the return of Christ. They are dead for four days, and then they are resurrected. Mr. Gerald Weston made this observation in his January-February LCN article, which shall you choose? That's January-February 2019. Uh, Which shall you choose? Some believe that Herbert Armstrong was the Elijah to come, but the more time passes since his death in 1986, 33 years ago, this is written in January, the less likely that is. He certainly did an Elijah-like work, but did he fulfill the prophecy of Malachi 4? Time will reveal the truth. And Dr. Meredith also stated that Mr. Armstrong did an Elijah-like work. Quote, we feel he did an Elijah-like work. You know what I mean. He was preaching powerfully and turning a number of people back to the ways of God. And out of a nation of 240 or 250 million human beings during his ministry, we had 150,000 in the church. But he himself said he didn't think half of those people were converted. So we believe that Mr. Armstrong fulfilled many of the elements of Elijah's mission, that he did an Elijah-like work, and we're following in Mr. Armstrong's footsteps in doing the same thing, as I've already pointed out. So, brethren, we thank God for Mr. Armstrong's powerful ministry. He turned many to the true God, and he faithfully followed Christ's instructions to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to the world as a witness and to strengthen the brethren. And Dr. Meredith followed in Mr. Armstrong's footsteps, faithfully leading the God's work to follow the same elements of Elijah's mission. And we are striving today under the leadership of Mr. Gerald Weston to fulfill those same elements of Elijah's mission. We are calling many to repentance, and we're turning the hearts of the true, of the people to the true God, and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're fulfilling major elements of Elijah's work and ministry. Dr. Meredith observed that Moses and Elijah are often mentioned together in scriptures, I said earlier. I want to turn to the vision of Moses and Elijah, and you all know where that is, so you can turn to that. Okay, for those of you who don't know, that's Matthew 17. Very inspiring. On our trips to Israel, we've been to Mount Tabor. That was a traditional place. I don't think anyone can confirm that that's exactly where the transfiguration took place. Matthew 17 and verse 1. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. You just wonder, how did he know they were Moses and Elijah? Though at least one thing we conclude that our identity will still be recognizable in the kingdom, although we'll be changed and glorified and immortal, we'll still be identifiable. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. And Peter answered and said to to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So, chapter 16, verse 28, Surely I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So the vision was of the kingdom of God to come. What James, Peter, and John saw was Christ glorified and Moses and Elijah in the kingdom of God. And why was it that they, that Christ showed them Moses and Elijah? Well, obviously, they are going to be tops in the hierarchy of the kingdom, the government of God, and the family of God. 
Of course, above them will be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Of course, that says in Matthew uh, 22:32, Jesus talked about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So he emphasizes the power of those names that are be in the hierarchy. So we presume that under Jesus Christ in the kingdom will be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but who will be under them? Moses and Elijah, very powerfully positioned here in the kingdom of God. Now, as they came down from the mountains, uh, chapter 17 and verse 9, Matthew 17, verse 9, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. So others try to say, oh, well, this is uh, obviously... Uh, Moses and Elijah are alive in heaven now. No, this was a vision that they saw. Let's go back here to, uh, oh, let's continue here in verse 10. Matthew 17, verse 10. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. Now, again, when you say restore all things, he's talking about spiritual truth. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at his hands. So he talks about John the Baptist. They realized that he was the one who was the Elijah to come for the second Elijah, as we already saw. The second Elijah, John the Baptist, did no miracle, and Christ said that he restored all things and prepared a people for the Lord. But the Malachi prophecy is for an end-time Elijah before the day of the Lord. So who will be God's servants just before the day of the Lord? Remember, the church is in a place in the wilderness, so... Whoever is in the place of the wilderness or the church is not going to be prominent in the world. But who will be? Well, the two witnesses. Turn to Revelation, the 11th chapter. Revelation 11. Revelation 11. So who will be the last of God's servants to prepare the way of the Lord? Revelation 11, verse 1. Then John, the author of Revelation, said, I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel said, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. So we know that Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles for 42 months. In fact, that's one of four major activities that is ongoing during the uh, three and a half years. This is the booklet, Armageddon and Beyond. And so it has a prophecy chart in the uh, centerfold showing the two and a half days, two and a half years of the Great Tribulation, uh, the one day, uh, one year day of the Lord. But there are four activities going on at that same three and a half years. One is Jerusalem is trampled down by the Gentiles. We just read in Revelation 11, verse 2. Then the two witnesses, we'll read that in verse 3, for 1,260 days. The church in the wilderness, chapter 12, and verse 14, are in the wilderness three and a half times. And then the beast continues 42 months, Revelation 13, verse 5. But only the two witnesses are representing the church and God Almighty to the world at that particular time. So, <coughs> excuse me. Continuing in chapter... 11, verse 3, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So again, it's the same three and a half years. They are 
killed and uh, the whole world is rejoicing and they're, they're seeing their dead bodies, obviously through uh, transmissions of video around the world. But clothed in sackcloth, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if, verse 5, and if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. So that's exactly what, of course, Elijah did. Second Kings 1, verses 9 through 13. He's a drought for three and a half years. And if anyone wants to harm them, they will be killed in this manner. While fire proceeds from their mouth, 2 Kings 1, verse, I'm sorry, the, the matter of fire is 2 Kings 1, verses 9 through 13. I don't think we have time to read that, but you know the story uh, where uh, Ahaziah, the king Ahaziah, had sent captains of 50, and Elijah called down fire from men and consumed the whole soul group of, of 50 soldiers. And the second group came. And he called down fire and consumed another group of 50 soldiers. And the third group came and, and the captain bowed before Elijah and said, please, uh, don't kill me. You know, the paraphrase. Uh, but the God told Elijah to go ahead and accompany them and go ahead and, and see Ahaziah. And, of course, told him Ahaziah was going to die because he went to the God of the pagan gods for healing and not the God of Israel. But Elijah called down fire from heaven. And so they will be able to do the same thing. If anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from the mouth and devours their enemy. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Verse 6, they have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. It's exactly what Elijah did. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood. That's exactly what Moses did. And that was back in Exodus, the seventh chapter, uh, verses 14 through 25. And to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. So they witnessed for 42 months during the great tribulation and the day of the Lord. I told you I would be commenting from Dr. Meredith's sermon. And uh, he... Uh, I've got to hold that. I get that the Elijah question. Again, this was uh, May 2001. So he's talking about the two witnesses in Revelation 11. Uh, Dr. Meredith states, So these two men are definitely a type of Elijah and Moses by the things they did. And one of them may be the final Elijah. And to strike the earth and all plagues as often as they desire. So then they are finally killed, resurrected, and so on. But that's the description which fits certainly what the original Moses and Elijah did do. And they literally shake the whole world. The world will have known of them when they finish their job. They won't be a whole generation who will say they never heard of these people. There won't be a whole generation who will say they never heard of this people. With this in mind, it would seem very presumptuous for us to appoint another Elijah ahead of time when we don't know and you don't know. And it would be even more presumptuous and incredibly arrogant to make that the very centerpiece of our religion, incredibly arrogant, which some others apparently have done. So Mr. Meredith states, Think again. We do regard Mr. Armstrong as an apostle and one at least who was at least a forerunner of the final Elijah. He was at least that. And if he was that, he was not the Elijah. But one of the two witnesses is a candidate for the final Elijah. As Dr. Meredith stated, and by the way, I am not that Elijah, and I am not about to think that I am that Elijah. I want that clear, too. I am not competing with someone. I hope that I can minister for several years between Mr. Armstrong and the final Elijah. 
which he did faithfully. If there is to be another man, come along and fulfill that role. But I am sure it's going to be someone younger, smarter, handsomer, and more powerful than me. I really mean that. So, anyway, if, um, Elijah was probably not an old man when he ran 17 miles before Ahab's chariot. So during the ministry of the two witnesses, the church will be protected in the wilderness, and perhaps they will be hearing about the miracles and the mission of the two witnesses. So what will Elijah be doing in the kingdom? We know that he had major responsibilities, as we saw in vision. Elijah's experience, actually, was with uh, the schools of the prophets. Um, I won't turn there right now, but I'm reading from Unger's uh, Bible Dictionary. Uh, Elijah was responsible for three schools of the prophets. There was at Gilgal, Bethel, and Jericho, and Elisha uh, followed with the administration of those schools of the prophets. New Unger's Bible Dictionary states this, Schools of the Prophets. From 1 Samuel 19.20, we learn that there was a company of prophets at Ramah under the superintendency of Samuel, whose members lived in a common building. So the schools of the prophets started under Samuel, uh, but there were three schools of the prophets under Elijah and Elisha. Uh, living in the next mention of them is of the times of Elijah and Elisha called sons of the prophets. First Kings 20, uh, verse 35. Living in considerable numbers at Gilgal, Bethel, and Jericho. Those were the three areas where the schools were. Gilgal, Bethel, and Jericho. About a hundred sons of the prophets sat down before Elisha at Neal's and Gilgal. The number of Jericho may have been great, for 50 of the sons of the prophets went with Elijah and Elisha to the Jordan, chapter 2, verse 7 of, uh, of sorry, 1 Kings. So there were these three schools of the prophets. They had uh, married students. Uh, those that were married, the uh, Unger's Bible Dictionary stated, most likely lived in their own houses, uh, 2 Kings uh, chapter 4, verse 1. So there are three schools of the prophets at married students, and uh, what did they study? Was it just theological? Uh, Unger's Bible, Bible Dictionary states this, It was therefore justly and generally assumed that the study of the law and of the history of the divine guidance of Israel formed a leading feature in the occupancies, occupations of the pupils of the prophets which also included the cultivation of sacred poetry and music and united exercises for the promotion of the prophetic inspiration. So we had back in the, I guess, the 80s or 70s, we had that comparison of the three ambassador college campuses with the three schools of the prophets of Elijah and Elisha. So what will Elijah be doing in tomorrow's world? He's had the experience of religious training, of turning people to the true God of Israel. He had the experience of administrating schools of the prophets. Mr. Armstrong writes on page 349 of Mystery of the Ages, Education in the World Tomorrow. This headquarters church at Christ's own world capital of Jerusalem then undoubtedly will be given administration of the world's new system of education, the Jerusalem Headquarters Church. Also, the indication is that the teaching of spiritual truth of the true gospel, the spiritual conversion of the world, will be directed worldwide from the Headquarters Church under Elijah and the overall direct supervision of Jesus Christ. The principal purpose for which Christ is returning to earth is to spiritually develop in humanity godly character and to save the world. So we look forward to the time when the whole world will know the true God because, you know, in Isaiah 11, verse 9, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the ocean beds. 
So that will be a wonderful time. But the world has to be re-educated, and we ourselves are being trained as kings and priests and teachers. And at the Feast of Tabernacles, we often read Isaiah 30, verse 20, which I'll just read to you. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore, and your eyes shall see your teachers. Verse 21 of Isaiah 30. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. So we look forward to the total re-educational system of the whole world. And perhaps Elijah will have a great administrative responsibility in that realm. In his booklet, The World Ahead, What Will It Be Like?, Dr. Meredith has uh, three or four sections. Education in the world ahead. A new educational system. True education begins at home. Respect for teachers. So we are now in training as teachers, kings, and priests for tomorrow's world. Elijah directed three schools of the prophets. And as Mr. Armstrong wrote, the indication is that under Elijah, the world will be directed spiritually. So in today's sermon, we've seen that God Almighty will send an end-time Elijah before the coming and the great dreadful day of the Lord to return the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse or utter destruction. The two witnesses will perform the signs and miracles of Moses and Elijah. We also discuss the amazing life of the prophet Elijah, that he was human as we are human. And as God answered his prayers, so God will answer our prayers. Elijah turned the hearts of Israel back to the true God. The Church of God under Mr. Herbert Armstrong, Dr. Roderick Meredith, and now under Mr. Gerald Wesson, are turning the hearts of people to the true God. We are God's family. We emphasize family. In fact, uh, Dr. Meredith must play sermon number 881 as our church family. The kingdom of God is the government of God, but it is also the family of God. And we are God's church. We are God's family. Mr. Armstrong accurately stated that he was a voice crying out in the worldwide spiritual wilderness of religious confusion. And we're continuing that same mission today. God will not smite the earth with utter destruction because there is an Elijah to come. At the same time, Christ said in Matthew 24, verse 22, And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. The elect will be doing the work of Elijah and the great commission Christ has given the church. And even today, God has an active body of men, women, and children of faith. Dr. Meredith outlined the sevenfold commission of the church. That includes the Ezekiel warning to modern Israel. Our Britain and the United States in the Bible. I hope some of you saw the Tomorrow's World Live program Thursday, August 1st, just two days ago. Next week, the Tomorrow's World Now is going to begin at 7 o'clock. So next Thursday, you will not see Tomorrow's World Live at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, but at 7 p.m. next Thursday night. So be sure to watch that if you have the opportunity. That will be August 8th, Thursday night, 7 p.m., Tomorrow's World Now. So may we, brethren, in the end time, continue to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. May we continue to turn the hearts of thousands, if if not millions, back to the true God of creation and to the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. We're going to turn to Acts, the third chapter. Acts, the third chapter. We look forward to the ultimate Restoration of all things by the King of Kings. Acts 3, 
and verse 19. Repent there and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who has preached to you before. Verse 21, Acts 3. Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. So Elijah restored all things. John the Baptist restored all things. Mr. Armstrong restored 18 truths to the church of God. And we are restoring the truth of the Bible to the world. But the greatest restoration of all will be by Jesus Christ, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. I turn to Daniel, the 12th chapter. Daniel 12. God has promised us a glorious future. May we continue to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God as a witness to all the nations. And may we continue witnessing and teaching, as did the prophet Elijah, as did Herbert W. Armstrong, as did Dr. Roderick C. Meredith, because we read in Daniel 12 and in verse 3. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So be thankful for the powerful ministry of the prophet Elijah. Be thankful that we are ministering and turning many to righteousness. Be thankful for all the prophets and the apostles because they are the foundation of God's church today. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, as it tells us in Ephesians 2 and verse 20. Be thankful for the coming end-time Elijah preparing the way for the second coming of Christ. And that's our responsibility as well, to prepare the world, the church, and ourselves individually for the second coming. We are to prepare a people for the Lord. So, brethren, be thankful for your calling, as we heard in the opening prayer, and actively participate in the Great Commission and the ongoing work and mission of Elijah.